Austin filling in for Steven Henderson on this edition of the podcast. And today we take a look at the question, what is it going to take for Michigan to improve its economy? Top of mind for a lot of us, including the governor, is the fact that Michigan ranks second worst in the nation in terms of population stagnation and losing people. We need to reverse that. The goal for everyone is to improve our economy by improving population growth. It's a big part of that keeping talent, keeping our people here, and even bringing in some from other places. But what's the best way of doing that? To discuss this, we have three people from the Economic Committee with us here right now. Dr. Elena Jackson is the Managing Director of Global Detroit and a nonprofit advocating for economic growth through immigration. Dr. Jackson, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Also with us, we have Monique Stanton. She's a president and CEO of the Michigan League for Public Policy. Monique, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. And rounding out the conversation, I have James Avery, the director of talent development for the Flint and Genesee Group. James, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you all for being here. A lot of varied perspectives on a very complex topic because we all want more money Mm -hmm. flowing (laughs) through our state. So the question is, what's the best way to get at it? And that I'm going to start with you, Monique, because at the League of Public Policy, you guys work to try to reduce poverty. And uh, right now I want you to make the case for people on why reducing poverty, why attacking that portion is best for the economy, for the entire group of us here in Michigan. So in, in order for us to grow Michigan's population, we really need to start by stopping to lose people. And we need to do that so people want to stay in Michigan. They have access to good quality jobs that pay living wages that their family's able to thrive. We want to make sure that they have access to good quality resources. And they have a strong social safety net in Michigan. Um, so when they have a, a face struggle or a crisis in their family, they're able to to get through that crisis and thrive in the future. So we think that doing things like uh, access to quality education, access to child care, uh, continuous Medicaid eligibility, uh, improvements in, in paid leave, and different things that really support an individual and their family, make sure that, that they're able to thrive. You know, Monique, you know, when I hear that, I don't think anybody would say we should have more poverty, right? right? That's not a position people advocate for. The question would be, What's the most efficient way for us to use the resources that Mm -hmm. we have here in Michigan to improve things? So you talked about the stuff that we should be looking into in terms of reducing poverty. But can you tell us why that would have an exponentially high or I shouldn't say exponentially, but a a higher uh, return on value investment in that as opposed to other places? Right. So one of the things that we saw during the pandemic were a significant investments in poverty reduction program. And for the first time in a long time, we saw reductions in child poverty and poverty with throughout Michigan. And so we know that sound investments like that help families get on their feet. And so we know when families aren't, aren't struggling, when they're, when they're in a crisis mode, it's really hard to fully participate in education programs, uh, to make sure that their family is successful and thriving. And so if we do some of those things, we can boost income in Michigan, we can, make, uh, we can reduce levels of concentrated poverty across our state, and those are the types of things that make a Michigan a more attractive place for people first to stay and then to welcome new people into, into Michigan. Yeah, and speaking of welcoming new mm-hmm. people into Michigan, one person who really dives into that is you, Dr. Jackson. I want to turn the conversation to you now because I know you're doing a lot of work in terms of focusing on immigration. Can you let us know why is immigration so important for us to grow our state's population? Well, specifically in Michigan, immigrants account for all of Michigan's net population growth over the last three decades. 
Therefore, it's our position that in addition to all of the other population growth strategies that might be posed and explored, we should definitely invest in the one area of growth that's already working, which is immigration. Um, So at Global Detroit, we believe that by intentionally including immigrants in our community and economic development strategies, we will spark growth, revitalization, and sustain prosperity in Detroit and throughout southeastern Michigan for all Michiganders. This isn't um, a strategy where some make it and others don't. What we have found through some of our research, um, such as the Building Inclusive Cities report, is that even when there is rapid immigration within neighborhoods, um, there are benefits there that raise the tides for all residents without tipping the boats over. Mm. And so there is little, if none at all, um, displacement. There is um, reduced blight. There is um, sustained home ownership and increased home ownership numbers. Um, and this is helpful for everybody. There are also some numbers I'd like to share with you. Um, the annual immigrant spending power, immigrant spending power in Michigan is $20.3 billion. The annual immigrant taxes paid is $7.8 billion. The number of immigrant entrepreneurs in Michigan is 36056 and the annual business income of immigrant entrepreneurs is $1.2 billion. Those are numbers that just can't be ignored, and we have to think through, given the fact that this is where our net population growth has come for the state, how do we sustain that and how do we grow that? Because it's obviously having an impact, a positive impact on our economy already. Right. Well, you've said already that we do a pretty good job, I guess, relatively speaking, of bringing immigrants into this state. So then I guess the question I would have for you is, if we're already doing a pretty good job, what are the areas of improvement or focus that you think we should be looking at in order to uh, increase that ability? I think there's some policy um, areas of improvement. Um, I think there are some structural areas of improvement. I think things just as simple as language access within our universities, within our economic development strategy programs, within our business ecosystem programs. There are a lot of opportunities out there, but some of our new American residents don't have access to them simply because of things like language process. I think that the um, the limitations on how people can, the limited ways in terms of how people can enter the country affect our ability to drive more immigrants to and through Michigan. And so are there ways we can use programs like the Global Entrepreneur and Residence Program, which is a program um, that we run at Global Detroit, are there ways we can use programs like that to bring immigrants through universities? Um, and these are people who are founders who, have starting up, who are starting up companies um, and want to do so here in Michigan and hire Michiganders to help run those companies. And so are there ways we can grow programs like that that don't just bring people here, but also bring with them business opportunities funding and money. Yeah, We're talking with members of the work group that is uh, looking to improve jobs, talent, and the economy, provide recommendations to the growing Michigan Council right now. We're going to get to James Avery in just a moment, but we also want to include you out there in the conversation. How should Michigan improve its economy? And do you work for a company that's struggling to attract talent? What kinds of skills do you need to grow your business? And alternatively, are you trying to start a business of your own? What kinds of resources do you need to get off the ground? Where should we be focusing in this project? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019, and we'll work you into the conversation. A lot of questions out there about how to get talent, how to retain the best talent, not just for my Detroit Lions or my Detroit Pistons, (laughs) but the state generally. 
And that's why I want to bring you in, James Avery, as the Director of Talent Development in Flint. Uh, my question for you is, what kinds of skills do you see that employers need right now besides being able to hit a three-pointer under a pressure situation? Well, thank you. Um, from, from my observation, what we've seen is uh, a lot of our students, and I work a lot with our teenage population and going into the post-secondary, uh, just the exposure and access to the industries that we have available here. Um, I'm a parent of four adult children and three moved out of state. Mm. And I feel sometimes like a heathen because I'm trying to encourage other students to stay here at my own have gone out of state to look for uh, employment opportunities. But I, I believe that it's just the uh, opportunity of access and exposure to what we have here. Uh, we can make Michigan a destination state, and I think that's the stigma that we're facing is that Michigan is not looked at as a destination state. It's looked at as one as a pass-through and getting to other states who have other opportunities. But I believe that just the correlation of uh, the industries we have here uh, students have a lot of aspirations for uh, entrepreneurship and and other avenues, uh, but I think just that disconnect the relationship between businesses and students who are entering the workforce really needs to be uh, just a little more polished as far as a relationship. Uh, but yeah, there there's hope for our students. It's just that I think the access and the exposure is just lacking at this time. Yeah, this is interesting to me because you do hear from folks that there's a lot of opportunities out there, but still that we're losing people. The interesting thing to me is why would there be this disconnect? You'd think if you have a need, people would get to that need. I'm hearing from you there's a communication issue there. So how would we or how would you seek to improve that from your experience and seeing what it's like on the ground? So what I do locally is I marry the uh, the youth with our local businesses. Uh, most are nonprofit, but we are starting to look into the uh, for-profit as far as skilled trades and those uh, unique uh, aspirations that students are, are uh, requesting. Uh, but I believe just building from a local standpoint, uh, here in the Flint area, of course, for decades, we had a safety net of the auto industry. Um, and for those generations, it was always an opportunity to have a full-time, nice livelihood, middle-class job with just receiving a GED. But now we're finding that we have to reacclimate our youth to cultivating uh, ideas, uh, cultivating their talents, uh, and building those into opportunities to not only be developed, but to retain and attract uh, new talents here. And so that I think that kind of in a nutshell, just the opportunity to develop retain and the attraction piece is what I feel my charge is as far as our division. And uh, there is a local success, but I think a broad statewide, if we could kind of have that model, yeah. I believe that would help retain our students. Yeah, I'm going to loop in the rest of our guests in just a moment. But one more thing I want to touch on with you specifically, James, is we recently did speak with young people here on Detroit Today. Great episode, by the way. Go check it out at mm -hmm. WDET.org about why they decide to leave, stay and return to uh, the state. And one thing I remember hearing was interesting was this perception that in order to make yourself more desirable in state, you got to leave this state, right? If you go to some of the coast, if you go to some of these other areas, that then that somehow makes you more attractive than when you come back, right? And I can even say for myself as someone creating a resume out there, you're trying to make the most powerful resume. It's like, well, our businesses, our companies looking to retain people who are at home who maybe don't have 
the shiniest thing from overseas or can't, uh, or I shouldn't say overseas, out of state or work out of state. Uh, is this something that you would see? Is this an issue? I mean, what can we do in terms of the businesses, I guess, to be more focused on uh, trying to meet those people who you say are out there so that they can bring in that local talent and keep them here? Yeah, you make a great point. Uh, I've seen that a lot of uh, returnees uh, to Michigan have gone abroad, uh, stayed mm-hmm. abroad, and came back with those talents. But yeah, I just highlighting, um, I, I like and I love to see businesses highlight the youth that they've taken on so that they could be ambassadors, uh, making our uh, young workers uh, ambassadors of those industries so that they can be attracting. What I've seen in the industry and also in education is that the peer, peer-to-peer is important for retaining that uh, generation. Um, if, if a lot of our youth feel as if the jobs are available for uh, those who are uh, exiting the uh, uh, industries, uh, they sometimes don't feel that there's a connection there. There's sometimes there's a gap between the tribal knowledge of, uh, of skills. But if they can really highlight that individual who has come back uh, or is still here, uh, making them ambassadors uh, and so they can be attracting to their peers. Yeah. Before we go to the phones and take a quick break, I do want to let you jump in, uh, Dr. Elena Jackson, because it looked like you had something to say jumping off that point. So I got to let you in. Go ahead. No, it just it really resonated with me. I'm a Detroiter who left for 20 years and came back. Mm. I'm Detroit, born and raised, homegrown, Cast Tech, best high school in the world. And when I left for Northwestern University, it wasn't because I was trying to get away. Um, But what I realized in my getting away and moving to Germany and moving to Spain and moving to Mexico and Costa Rica and Brazil was that how we do things here is not a foregone conclusion. What and how and the outcomes we've been reaching and experiencing um, is not the only way. There are other ways. And what I learned in Germany is that there can be integrative and inclusive healthcare systems. What I learned in Mexico was that there can be um, integrative and inclusive um, home, owner- home ownership models. What I learned in Costa Rica is that there can be inclusive um, entrepreneurship and business models. And I said to myself, why am I doing this work with other people in other places? Why not go home to Detroit and do this with my friends, family, and neighbors? And I think that if we build a more inclusive um, infrastructure here, if we build more inclusive policies, if we're inclusive of new Americans and immigrants and refugees, um, I think we can have better outcomes for everybody. Yeah, that really points to what you were talking about a little bit earlier. We're going to continue this conversation and we'll return on Detroit Today. It's Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson, joined by members, work group members of the Jobs, Talent, and Economy section of the Growing Michigan Together Council. We're talking about what Michigan can do to improve its economy and population growth here in the state. Members that I have include Monique Stanton, President and CEO of the Michigan League for Public Policy, James Avery, Director of Talent Development, Flint and Genesee Group Chamber of Commerce, as well as Dr. Elena Jackson, Managing Director of Global Detroit, a nonprofit advocating for economic growth through immigration. But we also want to go to the phone lines as we work Robert in Detroit into the conversation. Robert, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Good morning. morning. Good morning, Nick and guests. Thank you for taking my call. I just want to comment that um, I believe one of the problems that Detroit and Michigan as a whole faces is we tend to focus on jobs. 
and not quality of life. So when you look to other Midwestern cities, I think Chicago will be out of our league, but comparatively, you know, Columbus or even Indianapolis, they've outgrown Detroit. You know, they've outpaced us in population and economic growth, and they don't have discernible industry, right? Indianapolis is not the motor city of the world, for example. But my point is that I believe if you focus on making it somewhere people want to be, then the jobs will follow. So uh, that's first and second. And work from home America, you know, I think that's a very unique opportunity that is in front of the state and the city. And it's something that I think is a missed opportunity that we're just not seizing upon. So thank you for taking my call and I'll take my comments off the air. Thank you, Robert in Detroit. Again, two great points for us to bring into that really fit into this conversation. I present that to you, Monique. Go sure. right ahead. So quality, quality of life is essential. And two issues that we're hearing, whether you're you're in rural Michigan or you're in Detroit or you're in a suburb, is access to both quality and affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a struggle for workers. It's a struggle for people in northern Michigan that live in the Traverse City area that has just seen booming population and growing income inequality. You look in Detroit, we have significant issues in our area. So so we've recommended a number of policy issues around uh, affordable housing. One, we were excited to see the uh, investments in the Housing Development Fund. We'd also like to see source of income protection for housing vouchers. We'd like to see eviction expungement, things that really make access uh, to housing uh, happen in our state so, so people have a good quality place to live. That's, that's so important. And the second, I think you've had, I can't even imagine how many sessions on the issue of transit. Uh, Public Mm -hmm. transit in our urban centers is essential. And then access to transit in rural Michigan, because you have to drive significant long distances, is so important. And so when we talk about bringing people to Michigan and making Michigan a really great place to live, investing in those two things would be essential. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, that's absolutely right here. As again, we're talking about not only transit, not only uh, by the way, whenever we bring that up, the people come through. They they, <laughs> they want public transit. Yes, They're right. worried about public transit right. in this city, Southeast Michigan. One of the things that I want to bring back up with you, Dr. Jackson, you were talking about immigration. One portion of this that can be difficult is the idea, I think it's a zero-sum idea, right? If you bring more talent into the state, especially if I'm struggling, that is another piece of competition from a job that I want, right? There are only so many talk show hosts in this state. You know how difficult it is to get that job? And so if you're bringing in more talent that's trying to outcompete me here, it makes me a little bit concerned. What would you say to those folks? I would say that we should change our framing and um, even if we just rent it for a little while, adopt a framing of a win-win situation. I think this zero-sum framing is something that we've been sold Mm -hmm. that the numbers don't actually support. Um, None of the top 100 cities in the United States that have lost population have reversed population loss and started to grow again without significant immigrant growth. Mm -hmm. Um, And the largest cities that have had population rebounds um, for those cities, immigration is the source of all of that population growth. And the truth of the matter is, is that we are actually facing some pipeline crisis issues as it relates to a lot of our STEM fields, for example. And without immigration, we might not be able to keep those pipelines going. So, for example, immigrants comprise significant portions of the workers and professionals in key fields. 38% of our software developers in Michigan are immigrant. 36% of our agricultural workers are immigrant. 34% of our physicians and 29 percent of our physical therapists and I don't know how competitive um, the agricultural 
jobs are, for example. Um, but I know that I like cherries. Yeah. I like Michigan apples. Yeah. And um, they play a significant role in helping drive that industry and feed the state. Mm -hmm. And so I think we really have to do away with this zero-sum thinking. Mm -hmm. I think there are other strategies out there, and I think the numbers don't support it. We need those pipelines filled, and we need the talent to fill them. Right. Well, one more question for you before, again, I loop you back in, James, and we go to the phones as we're getting calls in right now. There's a cultural aspect to this, too, that I know you acknowledge and that we all have to understand, as there are so many of us who love vibrant, diverse cities. That's why I'm here right now. That's why I travel overseas. But I can't ignore the fact that sometimes for folks who have a certain lifestyle, there can be a cultural shock, and that can be a little bit of a resistance to advocating for more immigration. Do you have any recommendations on how we as a state can embrace that and uh, work towards, uh, I don't know if you can remove that shock, but work towards that, uh, that, that, that struggle that we have to get more people to advocate for it. Absolutely. I don't know if it's because I was raised by a college professor and a lawyer, but I tend to be very direct. And Mm -hmm. so I would suggest a direct approach to addressing what is true um, that we experience anti-black sentiments in immigrant communities and we experience anti-immigrant sentiments in black communities. And I think we have to, one, acknowledge the history of Detroit, which is that um, beyond our indigenous communities, we are a city of immigrants. Um, And immigrants have played a major role um, in our growth and in our history and in the innovation of the city. Um, But those sentiments do exist. And so what we're doing at Global Detroit is we are leading a three-year national social cohesion demonstration project and best practice guide development in Banglatown and East Davidson Village where we are addressing those um, bias sentiments and thinking through how can we do more together? How can we work across um, the table on areas of shared interest, um, shared priorities, and shared fears. And so I think the best way to address it is to be direct in doing so and say, let's get those fears and priorities on the table and address those sentiments and think through how can we do more and do better together. Yeah, yeah, you gotta address it in order to take mm-hmm. care of it. Acting like it's not there and it'll just go away just lets issues fester. So we are speaking about how we grow Michigan, Michigan together, specifically in the world of jobs, talent, and economy right now here on 101.9 WDET. I want to hear from you as well, 313-577-1019. I want to introduce a, another call, another voice into this uh, conversation right now as we have Priya on the line. Priya, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? And uh, don't tell me you're trying to leave our state. Oh, I unfortunately am. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't part of my original plan, but um, I, I really was considering living in Detroit uh, post grad. Um, and then what sort of ended up happening for me was a group of friends uh, sort of offered that I live with them in Chicago uh, post grad, and it meant that what I would have is. Um, kind of existing, pre-existing community of of young people, of a group of friends in Chicago. And also, I kept hearing about this abundance of job opportunities and being able to find one um, sort of upon arrival to Chicago. The other cities I was considering were sort of New York and and, um, in the East Coast. A huge factor in why I I decided I couldn't move to Detroit yet just yet um, is because I can't in this time in my life, afford a car. Um, and so that really narrowed my options for American cities to live in. I 
have to rely pretty heavily on public transit. And that really meant moving to the East Coast um, or moving to Chicago. And, and that's sort of why I ended up making that decision was the, the reliable public transit access, um, the reliable access to jobs in the community and the sort of wave of, of people my age um, and friends I already knew moving out there. Um, and that's sort of why I ended up coming to that decision. But but originally, you know, I loved the yeah. idea of living in um, Detroit or living in um in a Michigan city. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so you're telling us that you're going there, you don't even have a job lined up, but you're confident that you're going to be able to get one when you get to Chicago, which is something for us to consider. And that's something I want to bring to you, uh, James Avery, yeah. looping you back into the conversation. James, this is something that I think a lot of us experience also, right? Like I didn't leave Detroit. One of my concerns was that I wouldn't be able to do that. But you know, a lot of my friends who did, they did succeed with that plan. What can we do to make our state the kind of place where people feel like, hey, if I come here, I can also get a great job? Oh, yes. Great question. And I, too, can resonate with that. I stayed. uh, The rest of my family left. But I can tell you that Again, getting back to the attracting from the uh, peer, and as I heard, uh, many times our young people are looking for a community that will uh, they can uh, really be collaborative with, uh, whether it be uh, the same interest, same age. But I think that's just a piece of our attracting piece where we have to really dive in. Uh, when I travel around the country, all these other industry-led uh, states uh, they have this, you know, they have communities, communities of uh, just vibrant, uh, collaborative efforts. Um, you see young people on television, uh, they're speaking about their jobs. And so, again, I think it's just that piece of uh, using that ambassadorship with our young people who are still here or who do return and utilizing them to say, hey, come here. This is a destination state. Uh, we have the climate for you. Uh, we have the four seasons, uh, guaranteed four seasons. Yeah, I like that. Uh, so- and so, yeah, I think just bringing that natural resource piece into play uh, and then, yeah, just say, hey, I, I have a nice livelihood. I have activity here and I enjoy working here. Yeah. You know what I'm hearing from you specifically there, James, not only do we need to sell up these apples and cherries that we've already discussed here. We need to TikTokify mm. our recruit <laughs> <you> strategy. <laughs> right. You got to let the, the dank memes mm-hmm. are going to bring the yeah. youth in. I should not be a part of that strategy whatsoever. I should just do what I do here, hosting the show. Move. Thank you so much, Priya, by the way. We do appreciate you for bringing that insight in as we want to move now to Jessica in Detroit. Jessica, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi. Um, I know we've talked a lot about uh, public transportation, and I have moved out to Detroit from Chicago about 10 years ago. And I just wanted to make a comment on the car insurance rates in Detroit. Um, when I first moved out here, I, you know, when I began switching over my license plate and wanting to get car insurance, I found out that the car insurance was almost triple yeah. to what I was paying in Chicago. Yeah. And I was quoted over 400 a month, could wear a box in my car, and after three months it might dip to like, 360. That was more than what I was paying in rent at the time because I had roommates and it just seemed to be outrageous. When I asked my co-workers what they were doing at the time, a lot of them said, oh, to switch it over, they just got, yeah. you know, insurance for a month or they kept their residencies out of state or yeah. out of the city. 
And I think that we're not getting accurate population reads. One for that, and two, is we're, we're the Motor City. We don't have good public transportation. The car insurance rate, getting quoted over 400 a month, didn't cover theft. It didn't cover glass breakage. Absolute basic. Yeah. And I did not have a bad driving record. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, Jessica, I'm going to jump in here. I do appreciate that point. It's something that really is important for what we have in you here, uh, Jessica. And I present that to you, Monique. I know that you have thoughts on this. <laughs> it, it, it's a unique situation for Michigan. We have uh, a lot of things that go into that, including uh, you know redlining this issue. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, unlimited medical benefits, which was meant to be a good you know good thing for the people. How it ended up where we're at now, you know, who knows? But I, I, I present these issues to you, Monique. <laughs> Uh, I am a Detroiter as well, and I uh, also am shocked at my monthly insurance mm-hmm. bill. It is outrageous. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an issue when we go back to those things related to quality of life. Um, I think that that the council and there's this idea that we're going to have a silver bullet that's going to fix all of Michigan's population That's issues. why I brought you on the show. <laughs> and it's really multiple things. So it's how do we have access to affordable car insurance? How do we make sure that we have good paying jobs? How do we have public transit? And those are things that we really need to focus on if we want to make Michigan a welcoming place for new people and a place for people uh, that are here that they want to stay. One of the, and I don't have the exact data point, one of the concerns at the council that we brought up at our last meeting was that when new immigrants come to Michigan, they often leave a few years later. So it's, again, making sure that we retain, retain, retain people Mm -hmm. will be essential. So unfortunately, I don't have that answer to the magic bullet for how do we fix Michigan's auto insurance rates, but it's not what we're doing right now. That's why you're working on it. It's Mm -hmm. an iterative process. I understand. But uh, we've talked a lot about this council. We've talked a lot about the work group. We haven't talked about just the mechanics of what's happening for Mm -hmm. people out there. So can you let us know how this work group is operating, what you guys are doing, just the mechanics and what the plan is for this moving forward? So we're meeting, uh, it feels like weekly. It's a lot of meetings up through beginning of October. And by the beginning of October, our work group, and I believe all of the other work groups are going to be putting together a set of recommendations that will go to the full council. And then by December 1st, I believe, the Mm -hmm. council needs to come together with a report that will go to the governor's office with a set of recommendations uh, on touching on all of these issues. And so we just had our first meeting. A lot of the first meeting was sort of data analysis, understanding what the what the scope of the problem is, uh, reviewing some survey results, and then looking looking forward to some next steps. Yeah, that's very good. And those next steps, what are you looking forward to doing in this council, Dr. Jackson? Um, I'm looking forward to giving direction on how we can leverage what we do have to get what we don't have yet. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to... Um, really thought-provoking, complicated, chaotic conversations around how we um, continue to be a welcoming state. Um, It's one of the boons of of being here in Michigan. We have more welcoming cities as designated by Welcoming America than any other state in the country. How do we capitalize on things like that and on designations like that to drive more immigration and to drive more migration? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to loop you in as well, James. You know, you mentioned something about uh, your work. I know one of the issues that we have at least is, uh, you know, lesser uh, number of people with higher degrees. Before we get out of here, what would you do in terms of trying to increase that number? And also, what are you looking forward to doing with this group moving forward? Oh, yes. Uh, And I'll take the uh, the latter. I 
I'm looking forward to really bringing that youth voice, what yeah. I'm hearing on the ground from our youth. Uh, I think that's imperative. Uh, I think many times we have a, an idea or a concept that we feel may be more appropriate, but it's good to have that youth voice just to see, okay, where can we go with this or what should we be looking towards? Uh, but yeah, as far as the encouragement of education, I try to encourage every young person. The traditional college is not the only education you can receive. Right. You can receive education through your skills, uh, anything that, uh, that requires uh, certificates, that's education. And so you don't want to belittle the fact that if you're not at a four-year institution that you're not uh, getting educated. Uh, I'm from the skilled trades industry and uh, from the auto industry, and I can tell you that I would rather have been in a four-year college than what the work it took me to get into that industry. Uh, but still, it's an opportunity. Uh, there's education. Education is just built within everything we do, and I want our young people to understand that is, you know, don't get stuck on just having a four-year institution. Uh, look at what you have an aspiration for and educate yourself in that lane. Yeah, yeah. James Avery, Director of the Talent Development at Flint and Genesee Group Chamber of Commerce. Dr. Elena Jackson, Managing Director for Global Detroit. And Monique Stanton, President and CEO of the Michigan League for Public Policy. I feel like a lot of us got educated here on this issue. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks Thank for having, having us. us. Thank you. When we continue on Detroit Today, we're going to take a look more at the talent portion of this conversation. We're going to look at what it takes in terms of us trying to improve in other areas of our population growth, our economy here. We're going to continue it with attracting more talent to the state with a local job recruiting consultant about what kind of skills we should be facilitating here when we return on Detroit Today. things we want to also discuss are things from an employer perspective. What do mission companies feel like they need from prospective employees and what kinds of skills should we be investing in? What does the future look like and can we get in front of it? To talk about this, we have Paige Sickmiller here with us. She's the vice president and partner with Troy Company Rule 5 Hire, an organization that provides recruiting services for engineering, administrative and manufacturing sectors. Paige, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here also, because I want to start with when I hear about the places that you your organization specializes in. We here in Michigan, we took our big bet on cars and it paid off for a very long time. But right now, a lot of people critique the state for maybe focusing only on automotive at the expense of other areas. What do you make of the claim? And do you think Michigan should be maybe investing more in other industries? Um, yes and no. I mean, sure, you know, the job market, it's, it's certainly an interesting time. And, and as we're post pandemic, you know, things, things continue to change. But um, when you have an identity, you know, it, it, that, it, it is what it is sometimes. Yeah. And, and that's certainly our identity. And it's, I believe, going to continue to be, um, you know, the prominence of, of automation um, in the market today. And, and the need for it isn't going anywhere. And I think if we if we uh, grab a hold of that that change and, and ride it out, so to speak, um, I think that that's going to be continue to be our identity. But of course, there's other there's other markets that um, can be capitalized on as well. And and we, nobody likes change, and, and the human nature is is to to not not love that. But um, I think in order to stay with the times and, and compete with some of those other uh, high level job markets in in the country, 
we're going to have to navigate those as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I was talking earlier today with James Avery, he was talking about making that connection between talent and jobs. And right now, mm-hmm. I think for some young people, they feel like it's difficult for them to find jobs. But it also sounds to me like for some employers, they feel like it's difficult finding talent, uh, which is always, again, an interesting uh, issue for me. So what I want to know from you, what are the kinds of skills companies are looking for right now and why those skills? Sure, sure. Um, so remote work and technology integration has increased the importance of a lot of um, interpersonal skills and communication type skills, uh, the ability to be autonomous. Um, believe it or not, the, the top skills uh, that, are, that are companies are looking for today aren't technical skills. You know, they're, they're communication, customer service, um, a sales acumen leadership management skills, those are the things that directly influence an ROI. And now more than ever, you know, managers have to look at, at that return on investment for their employees. And um, so when you see these large layoffs and you look at some of those positions and skill sets that are the bulk of them, um, you think to yourself, are those, are those positions that are maximizing an ROI or can they be delegated somewhere else? And so a lot of those interpersonal skills and leadership skills um, are actually at the top of, of those uh, that companies are looking for today. We're speaking with Paige Sick-Miller, Vice President and Partner with Rule 5 Hire, a company that provides recruiting services for engineering, administrative, and manufacturing sectors. But we want to speak with you as well, especially if you're out there. Are you an employer? What kinds of skills are you looking for from prospective employees? Are you having difficulty finding people to fill these jobs? And alternatively, are you someone on the other side? Have you had to shift career fields? Are you happy that you did it? Are you having trouble finding a job out there? Let us know your experience by giving us a call, 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019, and we can work you into the conversation. I want to get an idea of that landscape right now, Paige. Do you find from the employer side, is it true that they're having difficulty finding the employees that they're looking for? And if so, what do you think is causing that issue? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, I think a lot of people have taken this time post-pandemic to make life changes. Um, I think I think it's I think it's two sided. I think that companies are still navigating. Hiring managers are still navigating those changes. And um, to be quite frank, I think sometimes they aren't entirely sure what they are looking for. and, Mm -hmm. And that makes it hard. You know, if you're looking for a needle in a haystack, but you've got five haystacks in front of you, you're going to you're going to struggle. And, um, you know, the key isn't just finding that talent. It's also, and this is something that we kind of consult our clients on, is it's also retaining it, you know, looking internally. And if we're not coaching and we're not training, um, endorsing a quote-unquote student of the industry environment, um, those good people will leave, and then you've just got a revolving door. Yeah, Paige, I'm really glad you brought that up because it makes me think of a few things. One is, is it possible that employers are just not paying enough for what they're looking for? Maybe if they upped the amount that they wanted to pay for this talent, they'd be able to find it a little bit more quickly and retain it. It is. And, um, you know, inflation is is real now more than ever. And we've seen that kind of come back to ground a little bit, but it's still very, it still very much exists. And um, not everybody, you know, we talked about not wanting to change, not everybody from a hiring manager standpoint, or when you're creating budgets for these roles, um, wants to accept that reality. And, and it is a reality that, that the market has changed. Um, what people are requiring are, has changed along with it. And if companies, that's, that's hard feedback that we have to give to clients every single day is, hey, 
this is what the market that the, the person, the ideal person that you're looking for is looking for, you know, X salary range and you're at Y, how yeah. do we bridge that gap and what is it going to take? Um, because the reality is also is it costs more to have that role vacant than it does to, to pay, come, right. you know, come up in, in that margin. This brings me to another topic I have, and this loops into the DEI, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion portions. People are looking for specific candidates. You said needle in a haystack earlier. It makes me think of folks looking for the perfect candidate, then complaining that they don't get it, versus the Mm -hmm. idea of, like you kind of mentioned a little earlier, coaching somebody else up, right? You know, it's difficult to find the perfect uh, uh, client or perfect candidate. They're probably hired somewhere else, probably being retained by that portion. What advice would you have in terms of trying to get or trying to uh, maybe broaden that spectrum to get someone in who maybe they don't have the skills, but could eventually get to that point and be that ideal person that you wanted in your uh, in your company? Absolutely. My advice is the perfect person doesn't exist. Um, It's 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 just not realistic. And. And I don't know that, I mean, unless it's a robot and nobody wants a robot, <laughs> you know, working for them um, because you want to you want to have a difference of opinion. Sometimes you want to have different ideas coming to the table. Um, but all of that goes back to those those interpersonal skills that that I was mentioning and, and then eventually de- um, developing leadership leadership roles um, in those organizations. So my advice would be that it doesn't exist, but. A lot of times, you know, you see posts on, on LinkedIn and, and social media, don't hire the resume, hire the person or hire the, the attitude or the, the want to. And, and it's so true. You know, you can, you can teach those, those uh, technical skills and those hard skills all day long. Either, and at the end of the day, you can't teach somebody to want to work hard. You can't teach them to want to be a good person. Um, that's something that's either ingrained in them or coached, right, yeah. alongside them in the trenches with them um, or not. And, and I think if, if companies hire based on those things, of course, making sure that they're capable as well, you know, and, and speaking to their, their background and their experiences. But if we're, if we're looking at those aspects first, oh, man, what, these companies would be so happy. Mm, mm. Well, then let's take a look at it from the other side because you work in recruiting. We're talking about the talent pool that we have here in Michigan. There are people that want to get these jobs. Maybe they're finding it difficult to navigate it as well. What recommendations would you have for these folks in terms of what they should do, not only to maybe find that job, but also when it comes to negotiations or getting what they want in that capacity, Mm -hmm. maybe finding something that they didn't think is exactly what they want, but uh, could help them or could actually ultimately be there with just a little bit of conversation or things like that? Sure. I mean, I think I think the advice there is pretty similar, is that that perfect spot also doesn't always exist or doesn't exist. Um, But that doesn't mean it's the wrong spot just because it doesn't feel perfect in that moment. So looking for looking at big picture and and, you know, what is what is it that I want to achieve or what is it? What is my ultimate goal? You know, long term. And when I say long term, I don't mean 10, 20 years down the line. Maybe it's just 12 months from now. Um, and, and how do I accomplish that? Is it, does that mean working with the recruiter because they know and have that, that expertise and can, can again, coach me along the way? Um, does it mean I have to take a position, like you said, where it can, it can act as a little bit of a stepping stone to reach that goal, but something to be able to develop those, those softer skills, those, that sales acumen, that leadership, um, those skills that directly influence the, an ROI for that company so that you can sit in front of that hiring manager and speak to those 
Mm. Um, I don't think enough people are doing that. Mm. Mm. And I want to loop someone into this conversation right now. We're going to Blair in Westland. Blair, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi, good morning. How are you doing today? Doing well. Go ahead with your question or comment. Cool. Yeah, so I just had a quick comment. Um, I'm a graduate at U of M Dearborn, uh, majoring in community-based education. And I also work at the Michigan Works in Wayne, uh, training 15- and 16-year-olds in the skills you and your guests are talking about, soft skills and communication, interview skills, leadership qualities. Uh, But we're also placing them in more technical internships, Um, and we do this throughout the summer. Um, and during the school year with some, with some programming partnerships with different organizations. Um, but it, I guess my, my real comment is in 2022, uh, when schools shut down for a bit at the be- beginning of the pandemic, there was a real opportunity there to really rethink the way that uh, the next generation of the workforce is trained. And a lot of that happens in schools. Here in Westland, we have, there's a Votex Center at the local John Glenn High School with over 19 different vocational concentrations. Um, whether that's replicable throughout the state, I'm not sure. Um, but we really need to rethink the way uh, that some of the education is happening within our schools in the state. Yeah. Um, and I think if, if they're more student-driven, um, we can draw a lot more families and populations in. I'm really glad you came in with that specific uh, comment and experience, Blair and Westland, because I think this is something that we've been talking about. It's kind of reimagining the way that we approach some of these aspects as we move forward uh, with technology, with the future, with the change in skills that people require. Uh, I give that to you uh, as a response. What do you say to the caller's uh, comment there, Paige? Um, I mean, first and foremost, I love hearing, you know, the the coaching that's happening at Michigan Works and um, you know, guiding those students to potential job opportunities and, and, and growing those technical skills, too. But, um, you know, I think it was mentioned on your show earlier that uh, education doesn't always just mean a four-year degree. Right. Um, those vocational um, education programs and, and developing those skills based on where those students' strengths lie, um, having opportunities to do that at a younger age, I mean, we have to break that pattern at some point in order to capitalize on it and it sounds like it's it's that's starting to happen which is which is great but until we do that i think there will continue to be a little bit of struggle until we do it more consistently there'll be a struggle for our our young people to to navigate the job market as they come out of school or or go to get a four-year degree um because they just think that's what they're supposed to do where their skills may lie somewhere else. Yeah, it's pretty good. Blair and Westland, thanks again for joining us on Detroit Today and telling us what's happening out there in terms of helping get the education going on people. Paige, before I get out of here, I do have to ask you, how is the three-point shot, man? Are you still knocking it down at a 50% (laughs) clip? What's going on here? I mean, when you learn to ride a bike, you never really forget how to ride, right? right? (laughs) That's right. Now, don't tell the softball team that I just completely blew up yesterday night. We'll, we'll, We'll not get into that. Uh, But I do have to say that uh, I do appreciate you coming on, sharing all of this experience and sharing these wonderful insight into what folks are doing out there. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Student producer is Mira Kumar, who this is her last day 
helping us out. Thank you so much, Mira. I want to make sure to let you know that personally. Program director is Adam Fox. The technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bovian and Will Sessions. The Detroit Today podcast is edited by David Lyons. Give us a rating and leave us a review. 